all are when we first learned to drive, and now she's such an excellent driver. Okay? One of my favorite lines from an older movie, and for those of us that are older, even older than me, might recognize this movie, Cool Hand Luke. Is that movie? Yep. Paul Newman. And there's a scene, and it's a, it's a classic, one of the classic lines that's played over and over again in all of cinematic, cinematic history is when the prison warden comes out to address the prisoners, and what does he say? Today, we have a failure to communicate. Remember that line? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, really. It's a failure to communicate, speaking different languages. So again, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. It says, Now the whole earth used the same language in the same words. It came about as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. We're going to begin this morning by talking about what I call worldly unity. Worldly unity. It says, now the whole earth, verse 1, used the same language and the same words. Now what does that mean? Well, the word language there simply means what you think it means. Language. But the same words means vocabulary. The actual literal Hebrew here is interpreted this way. One lip and one set of words. One lip and one set of words. And let me explain further. The same words can have different meanings in different cultures. We all know that, right? So I thought, let me give you some examples of the same language and words in English and how they differ. Okay, how about the word pissed? Did the pastor just say that word? Yeah. <laughs> well, in the United States, it means what? You're angry, right? Do you know what it means in the United Kingdom? Drunk. You're drunk. Biscuit. What does it mean in the United States? Flaky baked bread. United Kingdom, what does it mean? Cookie. Right. You know this one. Football. In the sane, normal part of the entire world, it means American football, right? Everywhere else that it's losers, it means soccer. But it's always meant football, right? But no, obviously, around the world, it's soccer when you think of the word football. Yes. Now, since there were no barriers to communication at this time in history... Very naturally, there developed a universal unity. 
But, and this is a huge but, there is a dark and deadly side to this unity. Now, because they were sinful, right? They were evil in their, in their heart. They had already rebelled against God. They refused to scatter and fill the earth. They were full of pride. They wanted to make a city, and they named for themselves, and they were pagans. They were worshiping other false gods. They were demons, really. Now you add to that mix a worldwide unity, and the only result would eventually be devastation. Because the unity, this worldwide unity, allowed for a concentration of evil that was just unacceptable to God. I mean, you know the saying, right? Power corrupts and ultimate or absolute power corrupts ultimately. So imagine one nation of people all speaking the same language and words under the power and influence of one man. In this case, it was who? Nimrod. They lacked the checks and balances against evil that helped preserve man in a sinful world. This is not helpful to people because it eliminates the restraints that nationalities bring to bear upon human life, if you think about this. And so God recognizes this and exposes this and reveals this to us in verse 6, because he says, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Nimrod is the first of many would-be world conquerors. Think about back in history, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Napoleon Bonaparte, and most recently, of course, who? Adolf Hitler. Now, did you know that Adolf Hitler had a plan for world domination? After the war, the Allies discovered the overall Nazi strategy for world domination. Anyone ever heard of this strategy before? Here's what it was. It was based on a three-stage plan. Stage one provided for German supremacy from the Atlantic to the Urals. In stage two, this rule should be extended to Africa. And finally, in stage three, the final battle with the United States of America would have taken place with the eventual subjugation of our country. And he would have taken over, by the way, Japan. He was going to eliminate one of his allies. Hitler's empire would have been based solely on violence and fear. Because we know now from his plan that life for the German people would have been strictly regulated. Hitler was a vegetarian, did you know that? Planned to remove meat from the German army's diet because he believed that the lack of meat was what made the Roman legion so successful. He wanted all Germans to abstain from tobacco and overindulgence in alcohol. At the same time, the church was to be curtailed or even abolished. So all that was left to the people was the obedience and worship to the mystical figure of the Fuhrer. But Hitler was defeated, and as a result, the freedoms that we now enjoy 
today in America are due to the fact that when Hitler wanted to rule the world, a group of people stepped up and said no and stopped him. You see, the checks and balances system in the world, even on a national scale, that's part of a common grace that God has given us to restrain unilateral evil. And since you had an evil world at that time, they were ordered in rebellion against God, the people would eventually choose what? An evil leader who would dominate them, and there would be absolutely nothing to restrain wickedness. Because here's the point. When people with a natural inclination to evil get concentrated under one power in one place, what always happens? Wickedness abounds. Just look at crime rates. Where are they the highest? In cities, exactly. The greatest amount of crime and wickedness in the world occurs in the cities. And the bigger the cities there are, the more crime there is. Exactly. And I don't want you to miss this in this text. Because this is a point that throughout history we've seen other leaders try and do this. But one world unity in the eyes of God, other than under Jesus Christ, is a curse. It is a curse. It is not something God blesses. This is why all the world-conquering leaders I mentioned earlier failed in their quest to bring everything under their singular leadership. And once again, this is what I want you to see, what was started where? In Babel. Okay? It ends in Babylon, found in Revelation. In Revelation 13, we find Satan moving the world towards what? One world with one ruler and one religion, and that person that is worshipped is who? The Antichrist or the beast. Exactly. In fact, the Apostle John describes the ruler of this vast empire as having a power and great authority given to him by Satan himself. This ruler receives worship from all the world and will have authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That's Revelation 13, 7. This person will, be the, will truly be the leader of a one-world government that is recognized as a sovereign over all their governments. And it's easy to imagine this taking place because what happens in Revelation 6 and 11, all of those disasters and plagues, there's going to be a monumental crisis and the nations would, of the world will embrace anything and anyone who promises a solution we even see that to an extent today. Nations giving up some of their sovereignty to combat what? Climate change. Which doesn't exist, by the way. And yeah, what we know is going to happen. The Antichrist and the power behind him, Satan, they're going to move towards absolute control and demanding worship. Satan edges towards his goal of being like God. The very thing he wanted to happen in the Garden of Eden, he's trying to do again in the book of Revelation. And to control these people, commerce is going to be controlled, and it'll be associated with the worship of the beast. But like every other attempt at worldwide domination and rule in the history of mankind, this final Babylon will fall by what? The judgment of God. That's Revelation 18 and 19. But all three examples of men who attempted world domination that I shared, Nimrod, 
That was last week. Hitler and now the Antichrist. They shared three common characteristics. One conquered world under one ruler with one religion that worships that ruler. And that's exactly what Nimrod did. He conquered the world, and what did he demand? That the people worship him. In his name, Nimrod was changed throughout history of all the different gods. Marduk, for example. So what started in Genesis at the Tower of Babel, I want you to see, it ends in Revelation. This is why this chapter is in here. Okay? It's the birthplace of all false religion. It's the birthplace of the attempt of Satan to, to establish everything under one, a united world under one person, one government, one religion, and they're not worshiping God. And so at our point in the text, we're about 100 years after the flood, we find a rebellious society that is marked by what I said last week, permanence of people unwilling to fill the earth, pride of people seeking to make a name for themselves, and paganism of people worshiping demons. And now we can add oneness a worldly unity of people unified, but unified in rebellion against God. And what we see here in Genesis 11, folks, is the first snapshot of what Paul describes in Romans 1. Did you know that? Look at this. Let's talk about the first Romans 1 judgment. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. Actually, I won't because it's too many notes here. I've been through this before, but this is the first example of this. So I want to give you examples that are related to the text, and this is exactly what's happening. And it's, you'll see it as we go through this again, what's happening today in our world. But Romans 1, starting in verse 18, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. If there ever was a generation who should worship God, it would have been the generation at Babel. After all, it was only about 100 years after the flood, and the eight surviving family members would still be around. This was not secondhand information passed down thousands of years by written documents. This is first-hand eyewitness testimony of the judgment of the flood. They had first-hand witness to what happens to a people, a society, that disobeyed the true God. And beyond their own personal testimony of these eight individuals, they could point to the judgment of God in a reshaped planet. They could tell the story about how a benign climate was turned into extreme climate, they could point to all the natural disasters that came to pass after the flood as a result of the reshaping of the earth, making the mountains what? Higher, and the valleys deeper, and creating an ice age in large portions of water that we now call oceans. All this evidence could be firsthand testimony from the family who lived in both worlds. They were alive. And so it is really amazing that this society of people at Babel suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Look at verse 19 and 20. 
because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And be any reasonable person, and that's the key word, reasonable, understands you have to have some eternal source for this universe. So if people who by reason alone see creation and willingly turn away from God, how culpable is that person or that generation at Babel who not only could see the hand of God in creation, but also had eyewitnesses of the judgment of God? Verses 21 23. For even though they knew God, they did not dishonor, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This is verses are simply a description of the breadth of idolatry. When people suppress this truth about God. Whenever man suppresses the knowledge of God's glory, the whole of life falls into chaos. And what is the chaos into which they plummeted? Well, it's the same chaos anybody plummets into. That's verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their heir. And so the first thing that happens when you suppress the truth in unrighteousness is physical bodies descend into chaos. Normal relationships degrade into impure relationships. Physical bodies plunge into immorality. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And after the body goes, what goes next? The mind. Humanity can no longer think properly because the mind is totally corrupt and with moral restraints removed, mankind does things that aren't, as the text says, proper. And so we find out what society was like 100 years after the flood. Look at verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, in that generation knew the ordinance of God. That those who practice such things are worthy of death. Death was all around them still, probably. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Please understand, Romans chapter 1 is not describing one period of history. It's describing the inevitable cycle that takes place when men 
reject the knowledge of God, suppress the truth, and choose unrighteousness. And this is what this society did. Guess what, folks? This is what our society has done. Today's news is filled with stories of people doing things that are not proper. After the last few years, I thought, I can't be shocked by anything I see or read anymore, and that simply is not the case. In April 15th of 2023, and by the way, this is always the fastest part of my sermon um, creation. When I have to find stories like this, it's, they're there abundantly everywhere. In a town hall article entitled, Washington to Allow Children to be Legally Taken from Parents, if they don't consent to gender transition, the journalist Sarah Arnold wrote, and she quotes Democratic State Representative Tana Sen, who praised the bill's passing, saying she supports children who believe they belong in a different body than they were born. I am saying tonight, she says, to them that I see you, that I affirm you, that I hear you, that I love you, which is another way of saying that I want your vote. That's what she's saying. She went on to say, with this bill's passage, we say that Washington State does too. Or, how about this story? This past week, there was an Asian American student. I don't know how this guy did this. God bless him. I know he worked hard. He scored a, a, a 1590 SAT score. You know what the, a perfect is? 1600, 1590. He was rejected by six elite colleges. Why? He's Asian American. He blames affirmative action. 18-year-old John Wang, a Florida native, he had a perfect score on the math section, by the way. He had a combined 4.65 high school GPA. You think most colleges would want him, right? Mm -mm. That's what's before the Supreme Court this week, I believe. Do they consider race and ethnicity in admission into college as opposed to merit? Now, is that proper? Does that make sense? No. How about this story? The Southern Poverty Law Center labeled the parents' rights group Moms for Liberty, based out of Florida, that discovered CRT and all this stuff and has taken a stand against that stuff. They labeled them an extremist group, which is, in essence, calling them a terrorist group. Parents protecting your children, you're labeled a, you're a terrorist. That's not thinking properly. How about this? Our world has transgender men competing and dominating in women's sports. The female athletes are pressured and threatened to not speak out. And last week, Paula Scanyon spoke out of what she endured at the University of Pennsylvania. It was an unfair situation they're in, but because of the biological advantage these transgender men have over women, you can't speak out. The female athletes, she said, uncomfortable with a biological male changing the same locker room are forced to change in a stall in the bathroom. And if they said anything and spoke up, they would be punished. That has now come out. How about this? Just speaking of the word biological. University of Cincinnati, that is not the liberal West Coast. That's a conservative Midwest, but still a city. University of Cincinnati student Olivia 
Krolsik posted a TikTok video last month detailing the feedback she received from her gender studies teacher, explaining that she received a zero on her project proposal about transgender athletes competing in women's sports because she used the term biological woman. She has had her proposal regraded by another professor and received an A in the class because the university understands now this became a national story, this is not good publicity, and if they had any sort of common sense, which I'm sure they don't, they would have removed that professor. How about this? We have drag shows in our schools and libraries, but Oregon State, God bless that depraved state, held a bizarre drag show for all ages, titled Illegal Drag Show, Be Gay, Do Crime. The show included a female performer weightlifting topless in front of kids. Is that proper thinking? But rest assured, everyone, what we're witnessing Today, it's nothing new to God. This type of behavior has been happening throughout the history of mankind. You might remember this because the prophet Isaiah addressed this irrational thinking with this verse right here. This is our world today. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do you know the name William Thomas? A biological male who goes by the name what? Leah Thomas. He became the first openly transgender athlete to win an NCAA Division I national championship in women's swimming. He defeated University of Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines, who now speaks out against transgender males competing in women's sports. And she tweeted this Friday, June 9th. And look at this, folks. It reads eerily similar to Isaiah 520. I put this up here for you so we can go back and forth between this. A lie doesn't become truth. Wrong doesn't become right. And evil doesn't become moral just because it's accepted and embraced by a portion of society. This is exactly this right here. Now, I think she's a believer. I don't know if she knows this verse. But I was struck as I was preparing this sermon, when I read this, I thought, oh my gosh, this is Isaiah 5.20. You see that? She's gaining a following, by the way, because most people agree. They even have these biological men that are transgender men in, in, in like boxing or MMA stuff against women. They're crushing skulls, breaking bones. Can you imagine if a woman that thinks she's a man under a current government wants to play professional football? What would happen if a 250-pound linebacker ran at her full speed? And she could be as muscular as she can be. It would not be pretty. And it's something I think the NFL would even allow to happen. Because that would be devastating to their image. Now, 
Let's close with talking about let us. Look at verse 3, chapter 11 of Genesis. Go back there. Let us. Verse 3. They said to one another, come, let us, that's the focus here, make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now you can tell an awful lot about a society, any given society, by what they say and by what they don't say. And what is missing in their words is any reference to God. He has not mentioned at all, and it's telling how godless the people of Babel had become in a very short time. What is not missing is what they say about themselves. They were looking to build a city by man, for man, for the worship of man. And who would they end up worshiping? The ruler, Nimrod. Moses makes this point abundantly clear. He's the author of Genesis. He repeats the phrase, let us, three times. And picking up on this, and don't miss this, God mocks them using sarcasm. God created everything, including sarcasm. Look at verse 7. Come, let, capital U, us. Let us, and of course referring to who? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Let us go down. He's, he's mimicking man, mocking them in many ways. In their best attempt to connect with heaven, God still has to stoop down to see this feeble attempt. In fact, the ancient Jewish book Jubilees is part of the Pseudepigrapha, I think is how you say it. It's not canon in the scripture like 1 Maccabees, but it does have some historical information. They write that the building of the Tower of Babel took 43 years. And the height of the tower reached almost two miles. Now others, now we can't confirm that, others believe according to Genesis 11, three through six, the people who built the tower were dedicated to the cause, and it may have been built very quickly, possibly in just a few months. We don't know, but however long it took, the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, humbled themselves and visited the realm of men and undid in one simple miraculous act what took man many months to many years to build. And can you imagine what this must have been like for the people of Babel. One moment you're having a conversation with somebody, and the very next moment, out of your mouth come words that you have never said before. The person you're talking to has this reaction. They get this confused look on their face as if you're babbling. They respond with words that sound what? like gibberish to you. You don't understand what they are saying, and now you have this confused look on your face. And very quickly, confusion turns to panic, and panic quickly turns to fear as chaos 
erupts around you. And what do you do in that situation? Well, I think you could, obviously, you try to find somebody who can understand you. Perhaps you head home, and if you're fortunate, you find that your family understands you, but only a handful of other people do as well. And so very naturally, you would join with the peoples that speak the same language as you, and you're going to pull away from who? Anyone else who does not speak the same language. You see, this is a very effective way to create chaos and division. And the power of the one world was shattered in one miraculous moment. The city was fragmented, and the false religion was splintered. But God was not done. Verse 8 says that the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. How did he do that? I don't know. (laughs) What I do know is that they did not scatter themselves. Because they refused to. They wanted to stay permanent, right? God scattered them. And this is the other half of the miracle, and I think we missed it. The first half was the miraculous phenomena in linguistics. The second half was a miraculous phenomena in relocating. These language groups were moved away. The people migrated. Guess what they were starting to do? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The very things they refused to do, now they're doing. God's commands will not be thwarted. He will not be denied. People migrated. And they began to move into their language groups all over the world. We know this, right? From last week, this is where they went. The descendants of Japheth's family were moved into the Indo-European area across Russia, over the Bering Strait, in the North and South America, and the native peoples of the Western Hemisphere. We are descendants, most likely, of Japheth. Ham's family went into Africa and Asia, the Far East and some parts of Canaan. Shem's family went north and east, including the Semitic people of the Middle East. But remember that wherever they went, what did they take with them? Their fallen nature, their sin, and what else? Their false religions. Exactly. But they also took with them human ingenuity, and it was formidable. They took the skills that they had been given as a people created in the image of God, and populations began to grow and expand as people became industrious. Remember, even before the flood, they were skilled in what? Animal husbandry, metallurgy, in the arts, poetry, music. And the more industrious and intelligent groups held the more favorable positions as time went on. And they grew more powerful and became the greater nations, conquering the weaker nations. And eventually, nations began to develop alongside tribes in isolated places as they developed distinctive patterns of life and social customs, right? And even some biological features. That's how they scattered, how God scattered them, I believe. Now, the wisest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus Christ, was who? Solomon. Near the end of his life, he summed up his life experience in two verses. 
And I think we would do well to heed his advice because I believe the story of Babel serves as a reminder of what God requires of his creation, which is obedience. At the end of his life, and this is good for us to remember this in other areas as well, but is this right here. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is what? Fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. That generation at the Tower of Babel did not fear God and keep his commandments. Okay? And again, it applies to every person. And so what happens? What will God do? He will bring every act to judgment. And that's exactly what he did. This was a judgment of dispersion. Not devastation like a, a worldwide flood, but dispersion. So if you are going to be judged, and you will be judged, as this story tells us, why don't you just start doing the right thing? Fear God, keep his commandments, because he's going to bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, and that's scary. You know what that means, don't you? Every attitude, every thought, every inclination of... Every time, like me, you're impatient behind the wheel. And so I say to you, just get out of my way, and I'll be good. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil, and that's the end of the Ecclesiastes. Everything is boiled down to fear God and keep his commandments. And this generation didn't, and they suffered judgment. And so I'd like for you to just memorize this this week. Take the time, memorize it. Apply it. Because like, how do I apply something from this story to our lives? Go learn to speak another language? Well, no. The point is, God's will will be done. So learn to fear Him and obey His commands. This generation didn't fear Him. They rebelled against Him. They didn't obey His commands, and look what happened. Let's pray. Father, as we close this morning, we thank you for what we've learned. We thank you for the things that, that you keep teaching us and that you keep teaching every generation and every society and every individual if they will simply come to you. Why rebel against you? It just ends poorly for us. Just fear you, obey you, be blessed, and be a blessing to others. And so, Lord, we lift this time up to you. We thank you. We hope that, Father, I hope that you have been glorified in this, that the spotlight has gone on you, that we see your sovereignty, we see your power, we see your, your patience with us. We see your miraculous power and how you can do anything to bring about your will. And may that produce within us a humble reverence before you. And may we not go on with life as usual when we leave this building. May we apply what we have learned. Keep the truth before us at all times. As we live in a world that is under your judgment and we live in a world where people simply do not think properly anymore. 
We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who empowers us, who energizes us, who gives us the ability to be different and to be a shining testimony and witness to Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day. Enjoy the weather. God bless you.